0: This is Truth Encounter, and our series through Deuteronomy, The Bedrock of Mosaic Literature, has brought us to Chapter 18, the Old Testament teaching about the need to support the Levites. Our study leader Dave Wurtzen picks up our discussion by reminding us of the moral debacle of Eli's sons. How did God deal with these Old Testament Elmer gantries? And what was his counsel in the New Testament for providing for the gifted evangelists and pastors in the church? We need to listen as we might be able to keep the fallout from burning some of the tender, godly servants ministering in our communities. Eli's sons and the involvement there in the tabernacle, as men and women begin to work together, instead of guarding their hearts, Eli's sons immorally get involved with these women. Now, what does Eli do about it? Look what it says. Why do you do such things? I hear from all the people. This is what Eli says to his son at verse 23 of chapter 2. Eli talks to his son. Why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, it is not a good report that I hear spreading among the Lord's people. If a man sins against another man, God may mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. They had already sinned, a sin unto death, and the Lord was going to deal with these boys. What happened? The scripture, we all remember the story. How many of you remember the children's story where Samuel hears the voice in the night, Samuel, Samuel, and he says, you know, Who art thou, Lord, your servant's listen." Remember that story? Right in the next few verses, we have that account taking place. And what did, not even remember what the Lord told Samuel that night? As God came and said, Samuel, Samuel. And finally, Samuel was told by Eli, you need to say, speak, Lord, for your servant heareth. The next day, Samuel woke up, and Eli called him into his presence and said, Samuel, tell me what the Lord revealed to you. And Samuel held his head down and says, Eli, I don't want to tell you what the Lord told me. Why didn't Samuel want to tell Eli what the Lord had told him that night because Eli was going to find out the Lord had decided that his sons would die. A battle took place. The Philistines attacked. The children of Israel thought that the Ark of the Covenant would be like magic. It'd be like having a magic symbol with them. The Ark of the Covenant, guess who carried it? Hophni and Phinehas. Eli's two sons carried this Ark of the Covenant into the battle. The Philistines routed the Israelites, grabbed the Ark of the Covenant, took it back into their territory, and they slew both Hophni and Phinehas. The runner came running back from the scene of the battle, and he came running into Eli's presence, and he says, Eli, Eli, and Eli could tell from the way that he looked that it was a disaster. He said, there's been disaster in the battlefield. The Ark of the Covenant has been carried into into the enemy. It's gone. And then Eli says, well, what about about my boys? And he says, both Hophni and Phineas are dead. When Eli heard the news, he was a great big portly guy from eating all the illegitimate food, the beginning of all the fat preachers. And Eli rolled over backwards, snapped his neck, and he died as well. Just in in a brief afternoon, Hophni and Phineas and Eli, all were gone. You know why? Because instead of receiving the gracious gifts of God's people, And instead of recognizing what an awesome responsibility it was to teach God's people the covenant, to have them graciously minister to them by providing for their material needs, Hophni and Phinehas began to abuse the people of God. They got involved in immorality and God snuffed out their life. Turn over to Hosea chapter 4. Hosea chapter 4 talks to us about a period much later in the history of Israel this is in the time of the northern kingdom, just before they were destroyed. And I want you to read Hosea chapter 4. We want to look at verses 4 through 9. The Lord says an incredible thing about the children of Israel. He says, My people are destroyed. My people are destroyed. Now, those are heavy words. If somebody comes to you and says, Your family's destroyed, your people are destroyed, your nation's destroyed, those are really powerful words. But the Lord tells us why the children of Israel in the northern kingdom were destroyed. My people are destroyed. Why? Because of a lack of knowledge. And I'm going to translate it this way. Because of a lack of an intimate relationship with God based upon an accurate teaching of the word of God. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you as my, what? Priests. You see, the book of Deuteronomy chapter 18 says that the priest's, responsibility, the priest's responsibility was to train the people in understanding the covenant of God, the word of God, a relationship with God, his commandments. They were to begin in the law of Moses and teach the people that law, and that would be their life. That would be what they built their families on. That would be what they, what they built their finances on. That's what they would build a relationship with God on. But by the time Hosea began to minister in the 8th century, this Levitical priesthood had rejected the covenant of Moses. They'd forgotten it. They left it far behind. And instead, they taught their own wisdom. They taught their own guidance. In fact, they ended up just teaching Baal worship. They ended up just teaching idolatrous worship. The Lord says, my people are destroyed. And God says, because you've rejected knowledge, because you have rejected and ignored, look at the next part of verse 6, Because you ignored the law or the Torah or the instruction of your God, I also will ignore your children. The more the priests increase, the more they sinned against me. They exchange their glory for something disgraceful. They feed on the sins of my people and relish their wickedness. And it will be said, like people, like priests... I will punish both of them, both the priests and the people, for their ways and repay them for their deeds. What does it mean that these priests lived on the sins of the people? By the time Hosea was preaching, this is what was happening. The priesthood was encouraging the people to sin. Because the more they sinned, the more they had a sacrifice, and the more they sacrificed, the more food that the priests would get. So the priest would actually encourage the people to break God's law because if they broke God's law, they would have better meals. You talk about a bad news situation of affairs. We've got a priesthood that's living off the sin of the people. The Old Testament Levitical priesthood failed. They failed because they forgot the law of God. They failed because, they, because of their greed. They took sacrifices that they should not have taken just like Eli's sons, and they failed because of immorality. I want you to get those three things. The Old Testament priesthood failed because they ignored God's law, and instead they taught idolatry. Then they lived just for material things. They lived just for greed. And we closed with them living for immorality. Now, what about the new covenant? As we look, that's just the old covenant. They failed. In fact, the Messiah came and walked right among these priests and Levites, and they didn't recognize it. What about the New Covenant? Let's look at some verses that speak to us about the institution of what we might say the full-time Christian workers of the New Testament. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, and let's look at the ordained teachers of the gospel and the teaching of the Word of God in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. It was he, that is Christ, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets. And the apostles and the prophets are what give to us our new covenant, the New Testament, Matthew through Revelation. The apostles were eyewitnesses. We've studied this in some of our past times together. For example, studying through the book of 1 Corinthians. Remember that an apostle, there were were 12 apostles that were the ordained eyewitnesses of the earthly ministry of Christ. They had to have witnessed the Lord's ministry from the time that he was baptized by John the Baptist, and then they had to be eyewitnesses of his resurrection. Then there were a few other apostles that were a special emissaries, a special ambassadors that were given to proclaim the foundation of the church. The prophets were those that, just like the Old Testament prophets, that were ordained or inspired by the Lord God to give his word. They gave to us the apostles and the prophets gave to us the New Testament. But there's two other gifts that I believe are continuing gifts throughout the church age and they are these. It says, and some to be evangelists and some to be pastor teachers. I think that's one gift. Now the evangelist is a word you think of Billy Graham being an evangelist and he is. But the essential word evangelist doesn't mean TV, it doesn't mean radio, it doesn't mean Uh, double-breasted suits. It doesn't mean hair slicked back. It doesn't mean that kind of a thing. It doesn't mean big media presentations. The word evangelist just means a proclaimer of the good news. In the family of God, the Lord gifts some of his people to be especially powerful in the proclaiming of the good news. They're also especially burdened about it and especially given ability to train all the rest of us to be proclaimers of the good news. Bill Bright was not a real enthusiastic, powerful, dynamic speaker like Billy Graham. Bill Bright was not a a very riveting, enthusiastic preacher. But when he was starting a college ministry years ago, he wrote just a little tiny book called The Four Spiritual Laws. And he began to train students in how to take this little booklet that has four essential points that makes the gospel clear. He showed students how to use that little booklet to reach out to other students. And that little booklet has been published into the millions upon millions upon millions. Bill Bright was an evangelist. And he was a proclaimer of the good news, specially gifted to equip us you can't be in any Campus Crusade conference without leaving that conference with a burden to take the four laws and share it with somebody else. Right, college students who went to the conference? And one of the afternoons, that's what they did. They handed them a bunch of four laws and a survey, and they hit all different areas of Dallas. Well, I remember when Campus Crusade started. I remember Bill Bright, when no one had ever heard of Campus Crusade coming and teaching us how to use the four laws. That's an evangelist. And I believe the Lord's going to gift some of you. There might be someone right here that comes up with a, with a new idea, a skillful idea that gives us a good hook into how to get the gospel into an unbeliever's life. And that's one of the gifts. The second gift is a gift of pastor teacher. And this is a person that the evangelist begins to win people into the family of God. They're kind of like the obstetricians in the family of God. The pastor teacher is like the family practice. The family practice comes in and helps the people to grow. They teach the word of God. They help people to learn how to obey it. And these two gifts work together to equip you to give you the tools that you need in order to grow into all that God wants you to be and what he wants you to do. Look what it says. These pastors and teachers are to equip God's people to prepare them for the works of service. You see, the full-time ministry isn't the one that does all the ministry. They don't do all the hospital visitation. They don't do all the counseling. They don't do all the finances. They don't clean all the buildings. They don't do the ministry of the church. All of us are in the ministry of the body of Christ. But our full-time workers equip each one of us to be able to accomplish our tasks. Now, should they be paid for? Is that a legitimate thing? Well, let's look at some verses that talk about their support. Turn to Philippians chapter 4 and let's look at a missionary. Philippians 4 talks about a missionary that got some support. Some of you are in full-time mission work, taking the gospel into other cultures. Look at Philippians chapter 4 and let's begin with verse 18. I have received full payment and even more I am amply supplied now that I received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice. In the New Testament, the sacrifices and the fragrant offerings that we bring are not lambs and bulls and all of that goes with the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. But one of the things we can do is to graciously give to God's servants who are taking the gospel into all the world. The Apostle Paul is talking about the Macedonian believers who were very, very poor. These Philippians were very, very poor, these Greek believers. And he's sharing how these Philippians, at the abundance of their heart, gave a gift to Paul. And he's now received the gift, and notice what he says, and my God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying is, this is the Old Testament flavor again. Paul is a faithful proclaimer of the good news. His message is sound. The other people in the body of Christ are hearing him preach. The Philippian church was ministered to powerfully by the Apostle Paul. Now the Apostle Paul has gone into another area. In fact, in Philippians, he's in jail. He's been imprisoned, and he needs help. The Philippian church, God's people, hear about his need. They gather together an offering, and they send him an offering to sustain him in prison, and he's now received it. And I want you to see his attitude. The attitude of the preacher is, the Lord will supply all my needs. And so I'm not trying to get into your pocket. I'm not trying to use manipulation. I'm not trying to use guilt. In fact, the Apostle Paul in this chapter says, I didn't really need your stuff. Because the Lord's taught me to live in whatever stead I am there, I can be content." But he says, I'm so glad that you sent it because what you did is a marvelous sacrifice of the Lord. And the Lord in heaven is rejoicing. It's like a marvelous perfume that's waved up before the presence of God. And I want to share with you really honestly. Satan is constantly working to take away that beautiful fragrance. Some of you have given to missionaries. And in an off moment, you've heard the missionaries say, well, I don't want to go and be with that person. They don't have any money. They can't do anything for my work. And that's hurt you. Because instead of the man or woman of God receiving just graciously from God's people, poor and rich, as the Lord moves in their heart, there was a little bit of manipulation trying to move up to the rich people and meet their need. And it's hurt you. And it's disillusioned you. And Satan wants to rob you and wants to rob me from giving. Well, I want you to remember that for every abuse, there's hundreds upon hundreds of faithful servants of God like Paul that just do it because they love the Lord. And they're just opening their hearts to what the Lord wants them to do. And as you do it, even if they don't have the right attitude, even if the servant of God that you give to doesn't have the right attitude, If they have the right message, then the Lord's going to use your support. This thing of missions, brothers and sisters, is a very emotional thing. In our own church family, I can tell whenever we get into discussions about missions, the emotions get high. Who should we support? Why does this person get this? Why does this person get this? Why isn't this person on it? You know what we do? We try to turn it into fairness and justice. And the Lord says He wants it all to be a gracious, fragrant offering. And I want to share with you whether my funds are abused that I give to missions or not, it's not going to stop me from using my wallet to help to bring the gospel into every creation, every part of this planet. I don't want any one of you to miss this fragrant, beautiful sacrificial offering. What a thrill! Paul also talks about another group, not just the missionaries, but look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 3 through 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 3 through 14. And Paul begins like this. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take along a believing wife and Mary and Deb and different ones Said amen? As do all the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas. Or is it only I and Barnabas who must work for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? If you're in the the United States Army, do you pay all your own bills? Do you do it gratis? He's saying no. If you work as a soldier of the United States Army, the United States Army will pay you. Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its grapes? If Dan Bauckham gets a marvelous group of grapes, you know, growing his vines over here, Dan, do you eat some of those? Yes, he does, okay? It says if you have a vineyard, so you should get to eat and drink some of the fruit. Who tends a flock and does not drink of its milk? If you have a dairy farm, do you drink some of the milk? Sure. Do I see this merely from a human standpoint? No. Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for some other benefit. Yes, this was written for us because when the plowman plows and the thresher threshes, they ought to be able to do so in hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it? And yet Paul chose with the Corinthians not to exercise that right. One other verse, and I'll just quote it to you, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 through 18, said that those who are elders in the church, who, especially those who minister at teaching the Word of God, it said that they're worthy of double honor, and it quotes the verse about don't muzzle the ox, that's treading out the grain, and it quotes the verse, the worker deserves his wages. I want to close with this. As Dave, Lowry and I look around our class, Dave and I sat together our very first class in seminary. And we spent the next four years together. Well, a whole lot of our friends from seminary were, were there as well. They were being trained. In other words, Dave and I spent four years studying Greek together. We spent four years, in our particular case, both of us spent about four years studying Hebrew. You don't really have to do that to get through Dallas. Dave took off to Aberdeen with Deb, and they got some further training in theology Mary and I stayed here, and then we all got back together again. We've been ministering. And Mary and I and Dave and Deb now have been together for over 20 years, except for that brief time. And as far as I know, the last time I had prayer with Dave and Deb, they're fully devoted to that, and they're still doing that. And Mary and I, the last time I talked to Mary, she didn't say, well, let's get out of here. I don't think we should be into this pastorate thing anymore. Now, you laugh about that. But you know, as Dave and I think about our friends, there's a whole lot of our friends that write me a letter. And no longer on a Sunday morning do they get up and open up this book. No longer on Sunday morning do they pray with God's people and teach them God's people. I'm not saying that all of them are wrong. But Dave and I, as we look over our class, can begin to see one couple after another that begins to move out of the full-time ministry of communicating and teaching the Word of God. You know why? Sometimes it's because I need some money. And what am I going to do? I'm getting to be 40. And what happens when my strength fails? And they begin to wonder, you know, is God really going to provide? And some of them get tired of being in a meeting and saying, well, man, we got to keep these guys lean and hungry. Some of my friends have had experiences where they just couldn't make their bills. They couldn't have a home. They couldn't have anything. Because God's people didn't understand what we talk about today. They didn't honor the teaching of the Word of God and therefore support it materially to an extent so that someone could earn their living doing that. Another reason some of my friends have failed is because of Immorality. The pressure of that ministry, the pressure of the criticism, the pressure of not being able to please everybody just burned their soul out. And their heart became dead and it became cold. And when, when Satan brought an illicit relationship into their lives, they couldn't handle it. And they were responsible, but there were heavy pressures that made them fall. What I've shared with you today, even as I've been teaching today, Deuteronomy 18 It's a passage I would never, never, never teach you about. Unless I was a Bible expositor. In order to be a Bible expositor, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of prayer. It takes a lot of training. It takes a lot of involvement in the biblical world and in your world and the modern world. You know what? The number of pastors that are weekly doing that, studying Deuteronomy 18 or studying John 10 or studying the book of Revelation is dwindling. And God's people are becoming more and more famished because no one's ever taught them the covenant of God. And they're being destroyed. God's servants are being destroyed because of greed. Greed is a subtle, very powerful enemy. And pray that all of us that are ministering the word of God will be protected from ending the course of our life just living to make some money, greed. Pray also that we won't be destroyed by Eli and Hophni and Phinehas, their immorality. Eli was destroyed because he was too fat. He lived for his stomach. Hophni and Phinehas were destroyed because they lived for their immorality. That could happen to us, Pray. What could be a neater thing to do with your life if the Lord gifted you to do it than to study the living Word of God, teach it to others, and have their lives become strong and whole and pure, ready to face not only this life for eternity? What could be a greater thing if the Lord gifted you to do it than to be dependent upon God's people for your material support as they depend on a weekly basis on you for their spiritual nourishment. It's totally legitimate for there to be a relationship of love where some of God's children are freed up for full-time ministry and they're supported to go to the mission field, to go into the pastoral ministry, to go into all kinds of creative full-time ministries getting this good news and getting the Word of God into people's lives. If you're in business If you're what we call a lay person, your great privilege is to respond to that and to materially provide so that others can use their gift. And the Lord blends all of our gifts together into a covenant of praise and worship and sacrifice for the Lord God.